I realized that there's some listeners, not everyone, but there's some listeners that are looking for this and they just needed the right partner to help them break through because they, they've got some life-changing product or service on their hands and they're just lacking the expertise or time. And so I started doing the elevator pitch like shame-free and I was like, look, I don't care if this turns some people off because I believe this is going to make somebody's life better if I go and, and actively try and promote this. And I like that attitude a, a lot better. And, and frankly, it's better for business. And I get to, I don't know, make, make more people a little bit better off because of it. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. Got another exciting episode today with Jack Reamer. He's the Chief Lead Gen Officer of Sales Bread. And as you know, I like to talk about sales. So this is going to be a fun time. Jack, introduce yourself and your company. I know you can do it better than I can. Thanks, Ledge. Good to be here. So yeah, I run salesbread.com. I'm the Chief Lead Generation Officer, which basically means I'm in charge of making sure that our campaigns work. And just a little blurb background on salesbread.com. Most B2B companies lack either time or expertise to generate leads from total strangers, usually on LinkedIn. So at Salesbread, we will generate either a lead or an appointment every day for clients using Uber personalized LinkedIn messages and cold emails. You and yes. I have talked about the the personalization thing. I mean, that's a huge topic now. And, you know, people will often say, you know, personalization at scale. And I'm going to buy a mm. bunch of software that, you know, can blast out a thousand messages and they're all personalized. And mm -hmm. uh, I have not seen that be, you know, particularly effective. I know when I get, you know, 10, 20 of these things on LinkedIn a day that I can kind of go, uh, it's not. It's not personalized at all. And I even have my little trickeries that I stick into my, you know, uh, variables on LinkedIn so that in fact, mm -hmm. I can tell that it wasn't personalized. Oh, I like that. I like so, that. Is, um, it, is it in your name? Is it like ledge mm -hmm. quote something? And they're like, hey, it's, ledge quote something. It's David parentheses ledge. So yeah. every time I get the hi, David parentheses ledge, I'm just like, oh, delete. See ya. You know, so like take the time at least to know, right, that I, who I go by and what I am and, you know, all those things. And, and people even pitch stuff to you that it's like, you know, I literally do that. Did you even read my website? Like you're actually my, probably my competitor, you know, so In I which don't case, know, I don't need you to shouldn't say. reply. You should wait right. to see the follow-up messages so that you can add right. it to your swipe file. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I do read all the messages cause I'm collecting good copywriting and that's how you and I got talking, you know, on a, on a mutual client and, Mm -hmm. uh, and I liked, I liked what you did, but yeah, talk about the philosophy and the work yeah. of this, because I think this world has been so commoditized and just absolutely bombed with, with, dare I say, crap. 
And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I liked what you're doing. Talk about how yeah. that happens. Right. So one of the first things I hear ledge from, let's say people exploring this kind of ultra personalized outreach as like a, a, a third party service, right? I say, you know, Jack, I, I go on my LinkedIn, I go on my inbox. It's full of junk. I never reply to it. What do you mean you're getting 25, 35% reply rates, 45% reply rates? And the answer is a lot of us salespeople, and hopefully salespeople are listening, and I'm talking directly to you. If you've ever sent a LinkedIn message that says, David, parentheses, ledge, you're being lazy. You're being lazy. And I, I don't necessarily blame that because so many of us have this numbers game attitude where it's like, all right, cool. 3% of our list is going to have Dave parentheses something. Let's just load it up and 90% of them will be good enough. And then it's a numbers game. So all we have to do is send to more people. And eventually people are going to reply 1% of the market, right? So let's just make 1% a larger number by ramping up volume, personalization at scale, or drop in company name, first name, and industry, and call it a day, and go for that 1% reply rate. Now, if you're going after large enough deals, 1% reply rate is going to keep that campaign running. That's a success. You know, if one deal is 20 grand a month or something, yeah, um, that works. But Shame on that campaign manager because you're just burning so much of your market by, let's call it what it is, it's laziness. And uh, coming full circle back to your questions, like what's this personalization, how does it sort of get started, whatever. A lot of the founders, sales VPs, biz dev execs that we work with, they're smart people. They know how to get somebody to respond. And if they had eight hours a day to contact perfect uh, prospects on LinkedIn with custom messages and really thought about how to personalize the follow-ups and they knew how people wanna start conversations on LinkedIn, they'd have no problem. But the, the issue is they don't have eight hours a day to do this. So they hand it off to a newly hired BDR and they're just like, fire away. Like they they grabbed some templates off Google, they got a Phantom Buster account and they're having at it. But that's an old school approach. And I think now it's like, we're so obsessed with automation that we're forgetting there needs to be human beings on the other end of it at several touch points to ensure that David parentheses ledge type stuff doesn't happen. Um, the good news is if you're willing to go a couple steps deeper into generally personalizing all these messages, you're going to be on the mountain peak with very few others that are in that realm uh, where they really understand that prospects are valuable and there's not an infinite number of prospects. So therefore it's smart to invest more time and energy and resources into each one. So what's that process actually? Say you were targeting me, like what for one of your clients mm-hmm. what's that process actually look like who are you in this case i mean you could be a podcast host you could be a founder like who are you i'm all those things so i, don't, I guess it depends well on i wouldn't ta- i would right? never target all those things right, <laughs> right so right. the first step 
ledge is understanding who are you going after and what version then of that person so like essentially you're saying i have multiple personas yeah right? and like i don't the, i don't necessarily care if you have multiple personas because as long as you're currently one of the personas that we're going to go after that's fine so if we wanted to go after b2b podcast hosts you'd be a great fit if we wanted to go after uh sales uh, as a service founders, you'd be a great fit. So we just need one persona uh, to start with. And going a little bit deeper, probably deeper than you wanted to, a lot of the companies we talk to have assumptions on their perfect persona to go after. But I don't ask founders anymore, who are your buyer personas? Instead, I say, send me a list of the last um you know paying clients that you got this quarter and let's analyze each one i want to know the job title i want to know what their company domain is and we'll plug those into different tools crunchbase zoom info uh sales navigator i want to know what they look like and we do like sherlock holmes stuff so it's like okay now that we know who's purchased recently let's build a lookalike audience of these people and uh, the final uh aside on this is you're going to have like patterns we if i get a list of 20 recent clients that just signed up 60 percent of them are going to be only in this vertical only in this size and the bu buyer was only in this role so i'll kind of ignore the edge cases and say okay it seems like you're doing really well with this group let's go find some more of them so that's step one yeah okay so it's it's a tremendous amount of research and yes you have figured out some you know sort of voodoo to manipulate that data at least make that a little bit easier but i, I want everybody to know that that's a tremendous amount of work so right there you know yeah. paying for that that research value is yeah is tremendously for, valuable for sure um but it's not like a competitive advantage it's just a step that everyone should take but the problem is I'm going to just chalk it up to laziness. So uh, I'll just tell you what we do. We just add columns in the spreadsheet that we get. We put industry, size, uh, job title, department, where they funded lately, are they using, uh, we'll analyze some technology they have, and we'll put, I don't know, like six to 10 parameters, uh, depending on who you're going after. So again, it varies, but if it's podcast hosts, okay, let's look at their audience size. Let's look at, let's go to their Facebook page. Are they active on LinkedIn? Like, We'll just try and see what do all these people have in common? Add columns in the spreadsheet. And somebody said recently, they're like, hey, Jack, I want to go after, let's call it a special type of e-commerce that has at least 1,000 Facebook fans. So I won't necessarily say why that was important, but I said, do you know for a fact that you're paying customers right now, the vast majority of them have at least a thousand Facebook fans. And he said, I think so. And that's one of the columns we added. We're like, all right, let's double check. And it turned out that 70% of them did. So we're like, all right, that's a good metric. That's a good filter for us. It means that if we use that as a filter, we're probably going to get closer to this core group of lookalike customers for them. Right. So pulling back the veil a little bit, but. Well, all those are, are proxy things too, because it's not like that's the causal element it's a correlated element and you can kind of say well i don't right. even know why that's the case but you can rely on a, a particular set of variables to help narrow the the cohort that's exactly right uh there's yeah well, how did you call it like proxy attributes or yeah like 
if so that isn't the reason that's an attribute right and that's a visible attribute it would be nice if we knew which e-commerce companies were currently looking for x solution you can't do that i don't know a way to do that uh, besides like using intent data from zoom info which i'm not necessarily up here raving about right now so because that data is hard to get you have to use like proxy attributes like facebook followers like were they uh do they have a podcast with x number of downloads like do they have i don't know uh did they just hire leadership or whatever so anyways a lot more details than you probably want no, to do yeah, it makes to sense explore. you know and i i think the safe thing for you is like you know re reviewing part of the playbook you still are relying upon that anybody would copy it and you know sort of not be lazy and if we know anything about <laughs> this type of setup is you know if, whether it's laziness or just doing that backwards calculation or just like well you know i've been trained that if i dump you know x number of things into the top of the funnel and they kind of bounce around and leak a little bit but at least one percent falls out the bottom and so somehow we learned you know bad behaviors of of just making raw conversion calculations from from step to step none of which honors the fact that you know, I'm a human that could be very valuable to your business. That's right. If you actually treated me like one. <laughs> so. That's yeah. It's like you look at it as a numbers game for so long that people stop looking like people and more like ones and zeros. They're just like input data, or their input rows in a spreadsheet or whatever. So uh, I'm hoping to be here shining that light to, I don't know, inspire some sales teams to and again, I know a lot of sales teams work really hard. It's just we're not working really hard at the top of the funnel stuff. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I and I personally am a huge advocate of just separating that top of funnel world out. Like I hate it, have no interest in it, don't want to do it. Um, you know, get get me and my crew meetings and we'll close deals. But we're bottom of funnel and we're closers. And you know, I God bless you all that bring in leads and make appointments happen because I have no interest in it. It's it's horrible business and you can have all of it. Yeah. Uh, but but I think we have this misnomer, at least when I, you know, 90% of the people I talk to, like, I need more sales. I need more sales. What they're really saying is I need uh I need people to be aware of my thing. I need people to, you know, sort of drive traffic, have awareness, any of like make a meeting. And I said, you know, I'm not in the meeting generation business. I'm in the revenue generation business and I will take your meetings and I'll turn a higher percentage of them into more money. Uh, but you have a different problem to solve. And I've talked to 20, 30 different companies that do. And I say this loosely, like what you guys do, but you're talking about it and, you know, kind of in a different way that I think is is valuable. I and mean, that's why, you know, I thought this conversation was was worthwhile i've read the copy and i kind of go hey you know i would actually reply to that <laughs> and i think like that's that's sort of the the honorary nod right is like yeah you know like if i get 20 of these a day and i only like reply to one of them it's probably because it was some kind of actual human connection so like how would you how would you do that you know like you're not maybe mining personal details or something but I, i've seen what you do and you can kind of bring up things that Makes sense to people. Yeah. You, you sort of are mining personal details. The only asterisk I'd put over that is don't look for stuff that they're not sharing already. 
then you start to get into the creepy realm. But no, I mean, like in 2021, people are leaving breadcrumbs on the internet and they're posting stuff on their about pages on their websites because they're proud of where they graduated from. They're proud of what they've accomplished. They're writing about their families and their hobbies and because they want to share that stuff. They want certain people to know about that. And the sad thing is very, very few people, I want to say like a, uh, a bad word here, but very few people give a shit about anything that they write on the internet. It's, it's so much me, 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 bye, 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 my, 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 my stuff that if you're one of the few people that takes the time to read up on somebody, like, hey, I saw you had a stint as a semi-professional golfer, you know, a couple of years back. Uh, yeah, and what was that like playing alongside Tiger Woods? You ask a question like that, you're going to stop someone in the tracks because that snippet was on their about page, not on their LinkedIn. Nobody in five years of their professional career has brought up their the fact that they were a semi-pro golfer. They, they're sort of hanging their hat on it. They think that's cool. You mentioned that. And you're especially you're the first person to mention something like that. They're going to say, wait a minute, this is not this isn't automated. And then what does that earn you? Does it earn you a lead? No, but it to me, it earns you the right to have them consider the rest of your message. It's just like a ticket to to like an entry ticket. Personalization won't save the day. You still have to have an offer that is going to resonate with them. You could be the nicest guy in the world. Very few people will meet with you for that fact alone, but it will build up some reciprocity and make it a whole lot easier to get through the bot filter. And once you do that, that's where you can start seeing 20 to 45% reply rates, mostly on cold email, uh, excuse me, on LinkedIn, cold email, call it mid twenties if you're doing stuff right. Yeah. 20 to mid twenties. is like where, where we're feeling really like good about a campaign, but yeah. yeah so that's huge. I mean, I've been told yeah. cold email will have a 1%. You know, and that you should just count on that. So blast them out. I mean, there's these common knowledge things, quote unquote, that are in fact yeah. terrible. Ask right? ask yeah. those people that say one percent reply rate what their open rates are. They'll probably say 18, 20%. We're killing it. And um, if you want a campaign that's got 20 to 25% reply rates, you need like 80% opens. And how do you get 80% opens? It comes back to forgetting about this volume game because you send a thousand messages a day from any inbox. And if you get low engagement rates, like 1% reply rates, forget it. The, the spam filters are so smart right now that they're going to say, look, this 1% of the list engages with the emails. So these are must be low quality emails, spam folder for the vast majority. And that's why only 18% of people are reading. So that just like crushes just your chances. You yeah. just toasted your IP block and your you know entire right. domain. You know, So like, right. you, it's not only that that email or that list i mean you just like nuked an entire piece of real estate basically you know by, sure. by having a bad time with that correct what you're talking about with the personalization i'll, I'll go back to that it's just like the earning the right to read the rest i've heard that described as like a pattern interrupt that that's really psychologically important now because we all have our scanners like almost like our our mental spam filters are highly, highly tuned right now uh, because there's so much volume. And so what you're just basically saying is like, you, you gave me a twitch enough to be like, oh, what? Something was different there. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, is that the way 
that you've thought about it? Like, is, is it that pattern interrupt type of thing? Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if you can make your message stand out in the first sentence from the rest, because look, we're all bombarded every day. You have the C in your job title. You have a, you know, that magic founder, you, God forbid you're a CTO, you're slammed, right? And if you don't break through and say, I'm not that, you're, you're going to be happy with 1% response rates. You, you really will. So it's like, to me, it's, it's the easiest investment in the business that I can possibly dream of to have a thing, have a team that can help me show prospects that we're different, what we're pattering, interrupting, right? So I'm sure that's the wrong way to use that, but that's the idea, right? It's just, you gotta, you gotta invest more resources, I think today in order to uh, not burn through a whole list of your market very quickly and, and to honestly just have a lot more productive time at sales. So I, let me shift gears on you because I get the sense, and I, I don't know your journey, but like you actually care about this. It isn't just, you're not just being tactical. So what, how did you get here where you want to do the harder work? Uh, not just because it's good for your business or the clients. Like I get a sense that you viscerally actually care about this and there must be a story. Like a night a knight in shining armor trying to fight the good fight. Um, not, not, <laughs> not so much. So, uh, look, let's, let's call it what it is. I'm going to do what's working and what my clients are really stoked about because, uh, we don't do any like contract based work. Like it's monthly, you come and go, we keep clients on performance only salesbread.com slash contact. If you want to say hi. Um, <laughs> and so in order to keep clients, we have to continue to, you know, fulfill our expectation of a lead a day. And I've tried lots of things, Ledge. A lot of it does not work. Some of it does. And so my, my short journey here is I was one of those high volume guys. And in 2016, 17, it was great to be a high volume guy. I mean, we would just, we, we didn't have a personalization uh, team member. We, what did we do? There was a couple like databases that are no longer in existence that we would download. It was before Apollo was Apollo. Uh, I'm referring to Apollo.io, which is a good tool. They were like Zen leads or something like that. And they would just like export sheets, kind of like today's Growbots, sheets of thousands and thousands of prospects. You could basically just say this department. So we wouldn't even do job titles. We'd be like mar anything marketing, anything operations. So you'd get like I'm not even kidding, janitorial operations of some college in the Midwest or something. But anything operations, that's good enough. You download a thousand, you queue it up. And as long as, you know, I was considering myself, oh, I'm just this sly copywriter guy. I could figure out how to how to get some replies. And you did, and you still didn't have to worry about deliverability, but then enter spam filters, um, specifically TensorFlow in like late 2018. And all of a sudden, that game of sending thousands per month just didn't cut it anymore. It was like, wait a minute, what? Uh, you'd get these emails that uh, were from Google. It's like, uh, you've reached your sending limit for today. Um, and so enter this new phase of the business where it was all about deliverability. And I, we, uh, 
we, uh, Jeremy from quickmail.io and I have a podcast on cold email and we would interview like the best deliverability experts trying to crack this code of how do you get past these spam filters that are taken away our fun. You know, it was like the wild west and long story short that those machine, what is it? Uh, machine learning spam filters just were too smart. They knew that if you sent this volume and got this engagement and people spent these number of seconds on your emails or immediately sent them to trash or immediately marked them as spam, forget it. Like it, that, that just broke down and enter where we are today, where cold emailers are like, oh, well, some cold emailers are like, oh, 1% reply rates are good. And that's because um, deliverability has completely changed the game from high volume to now it's low volume, high quality. So we've basically cut our volume down by a factor of 10. I mean, seriously, some of our campaigns just send a couple hundred uh, prospects a month. And instead we've like really made sure they're not the janitorial operation. Instead, they're the operations VP at the correct, uh, let's say, part of that company and they've got the right seniority, et cetera. We add tons of personalization and um, work really hard to break through to that person so that that message is not like the rest of the junk they, they receive every day, mostly in their spam folders. And so uh, the last uh, evolution is now we've been doing a lot of LinkedIn work just because that's where the the success is for us right now. If it changes tomorrow, we will change tomorrow to, to the next thing. Um, I even used to be called emails at sell.com, but we rebranded to salesbread because I think the, well, the future is uncertain. And as long as prospects are online, there's a way to reach them in a way that let's say feels right. This is going back to that shining night thing you're talking about. I just, I think outbound sales doesn't have to be a bad word. It can be like a really great thing. Yeah, I, I'm also glad that you want to do it because I think outbound is miserable. So, you know, I mean, I just like, I, uh, everybody that thinks yeah. that they can just hire an SDR or, you know, or just outsource to the lowest common denominator or any of these things. I mean, I, I'm here to tell you that that does, does not work because there's a hell hell of a difference between a marketing qualified lead and a sales qualified lead and if you are filling up calendars precious precious meeting calendar time if you're lucky enough to get meetings at all with with prospects that simply don't meet the sql bar we see this all the time like it, it's bad meetings are worse than you know having uh no meetings yeah i mean it's just a complete waste of time you've got uh your funnel will be totally jammed in the middle you know, you'll get maybe after maybe after maybe after maybe with endless follow up and a complete and total waste of time. Uh, there's a lot of commentators, you know, sort of online now and Mark, this is saying the way we measure marketing and leads in general is totally screwed up. Now that the sales, no wonder sales and marketing are constantly at war. You know, stop putting things on my calendar that suck. Right. So <laughs> what's the, the magic uh, fix to that? I think that that you're right. It's how to be a human to human type of connection. And in a sense, as an organization at large vendor or otherwise internal or otherwise, like, do we sincerely believe 
that I, I want to cut through the crap because the thing I offer will meaningfully change someone's business. And that I think is a difficult road because a lot of people, you know, sort of like, if it's not laziness, it's just, you know, well, I have a job and I'm, I'm supposed to reach out. And so I am, yeah. uh, but I, you yeah. know, I, is, is there a mission or vision driven thing? So, you know, in our, in our case, like, I don't, I don't want a lot of clients. I just want the right ones, you know, I, and yeah. I want the ones that we can make a lot of money for. So. Right. So the antidote for that, uh, I've always liked this quote and I, I don't remember who said it first. I'll say Gary Halbert, but that may be wrong, but it's this idea where if your product or service has the power to generally make somebody's life better, you are doing them a disservice by not trying to tell them about it. Like a general, genuine disservice um, if you're like sheepish about how you sell it. I mean, like uh, I, uh, we've got a podcast now for 200 episodes. If you listen to the first 150 episodes, I, I was victim to, well, victim. I was uh, guilty of this as well. I wouldn't do my elevator pitch in the beginning and end of the show because I was like, ah, I don't want to annoy people. But as, uh, I, I realized that there's some listeners, not everyone, but there's some listeners that are looking for this and they just needed the right partner to help them break through because they, they've got some uh, life-changing product or service on their hands and they're just lacking the expertise or time. And so I started doing the elevator pitch like shame-free. And I was like, look, I don't care if this turns some people off because I believe this is going to make somebody's life better if I go and, and actively try and promote this. And I like that attitude a, a lot better. And, and frankly, it's better for business. And I get to, I don't know, make, make more people a little bit better off because of it. So salespeople, uh, I would just say, yeah, you, you owe it to, to your prospects. I completely agree. When I talk to founders who say, I don't want to be too salesy, I say, you're not being salesy. You're actually telling people that you have a thing that you believe in that adds value to their business. And if you don't believe it, quit now and stop paying us. Correct. You know? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And and look, uh, we should probably both say this asterisk. It doesn't mean that you're going to stand on a street corner with a megaphone and and pretend you're a used car salesman. That That hasn't worked probably worked at some point uh, decades ago, but that that's not at all what we're talking about, right? There's a, a right way to do things. There's a, a lot of people say like value adding way to do things, but um, it's important that you do it in a way that if you were that prospect, it would make your day better by hearing it. Yeah. And I always tell people like this used car salesman thing, like when was the last time you actually experienced this prototypical used car salesman because when i buy a used car i go down to carmax <laughs> and it takes an hour and i drive with a car that i like and so yeah. if that's used car sales now like we should all do a damn better job of it because they closed me in an hour <laughs> and i right, went but, there with i went there with intent yeah and there's a whole nother discussion on the marketing that went into that like pre-sale, that's where all the work was done. That's like basically, uh, what is it? Content marketing and now in today's terms or relationship building as you are making connections and having meetings. It's not a good idea, right? I mean, you're the guy to ask this, but like, you're not going to kick off a demo with like, buy this now. It's 
build some rapport, find out what their pain points are, uh, ask, at, like, be interested in what they're doing. So, I mean, hopefully every listener is like, yeah, I know that already, guys, but it, it should be said. Hey, we, I think we need to hammer that into to everybody because it's easy not to do it. It's, it's a simple answer, but it's not easy to, to actually execute. So we're running up on, on time. Jack, give us your uh, future view, where are things going, where are you going? And then, and finally, how do people, you know, get in contact with you if they resonate? Wow. Where are we going? That's deep. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the internet has proven to be a stable platform. I think that's here to stay. And yeah, I think some people are going to make some money on this internet thing. Yeah, you know, let's let's see what happens. But no, um, I think the there's going to be a new LinkedIn. There's the format of email is not going anywhere. It, it our inboxes may look a lot different in the future, but forever and ever there will be one-to-one -one communication. I will always have access. I, we will always have some access to reach prospects on the internet. The channel may change, but at the end of the day, it's about the value you bring to them. And at least for right now, it's about interrupting their, I'll use this word, I like it, this pattern interrupt that's going to earn you the right for them to consume your entire message. Uh, building reciprocity, that's that's here to stay. Uh, what's new for SalesBread? Well, good question. Um, we're going to be on the lookout for the next best channel, but for right now, we are embracing LinkedIn with open arms and backing some things up where campaigns call for it with cold email. Again, leaning on personalization. And I would say if you want to get in touch, learn more about our process, ask questions, or just have this guy who does nothing but generates these meetings in your corner for a few random questions, um, head over to salesbread.com slash contact and get in touch. That's the best way to get a little bit more details on what's working these days with outbound sales. Not so much on the closing side. That's definitely going to be you. But on the opening <laughs> side, I eat sleep. That's why we work it, together. So. Y'all work, y'all work with Jack that's at the top right. of the funnel and bring us, bring us some deals and sit back and count your money. You know that that's sit our that's our vision. That's how we we want to make you we want to make you happy. So I like that. Okay, cool. <laughs> hey, thank you very much for this uh, conversation. It was fun for me, and I hope you listener enjoyed it as well. Thanks for coming, Jack. Thanks for the insights. All right, man. See ya. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.